This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. So we are going to be talking about the 1999 movie, 10 Things I Hate About You, that I think we all love. (laughs) I don't think anyone on this panel hates this movie. If you do, I don't know why you're here, but hey, maybe you're here to just (laughs) talk about how how much it sucks, but no. Um, So this this should be fun. This is kicking off a mini, mini three part celebration of romantic comedies. It was going to be four parts, but it's not because of our Oscars (laughs) conversation. So only three parts. So you're going to get this while you were sleeping and when Harry met Sally. Before I have everyone tell me what they're into, just a quick reminder, of course, that we are on Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us do these live streams when they go correctly. And even when they don't go correctly, (laughs) you can help us bring you great content you've come to love, hopefully come to love, lots of other things. And um, last Friday, we recorded our three-hour American Horror Story recording for seasons one and two. Susie was on there. Susie is going to be on this American Horror Story journey that we are so excited to be going on. We're doing brackets. <laughs> Susie's face. <laughs> yeah, we have to watch seasons three and four next. That's okay. We get to watch Dandy Mott throw about a bazillion tantrums. <laughs> Susie's part of my Finn tribe, so I can say this stuff with Susie. <laughs> so, Meg, what are you into this week? I am very much into Upload Season 2 that came out on Amazon Prime today and I absolutely watched the entire season today because I'm a very cool person. Um, but it was it's so good. I, I love this show so much and I'm really, really happy we have a second season and I'm really excited to see what happens next. So Awesome. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I don't know when I'm going to be able to watch it, but hopefully next year. soon. Next year, yes. I loved season one so much. So, yeah, yeah. With the good Amel. Little baby Robbie. Yeah. (laughs) So, Paula, who just got back from vacation, she won $2 in Vegas. I did. (laughs) Hang on, win is a win. Yes. She came home on top. I did. <laughs> she was. Did. A, I hope it's okay. I'm telling the world. Oh, yeah. Because you were, and you, you were at the. Supernatural I was at the supernatural convention. convention, so that's pretty much what I'm into. Because I've been gone all week. 
So, so we've been listening to a lot of the music from the cast members and, you know, just having a, cause we, we, we road tripped it. So oh. yeah, so lots of fun. So that's pretty much what I've been into is just convention and music and that kind of fun stuff. And I really need to watch upload by the way, cause that so looked good. so good when I heard about it and then I completely so forgot. Good. It's so good. cute. It's, it's such so a quick good. watch too. It's yeah. like. It's on my list. It's on my list for next. What next? (laughs) Log off right now. Sorry, Erin. No. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And Susie, what are you into? Okay, your beautiful hair. Oh, sorry. I love your purple hair so much. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Listen, I don't have like money for therapy, but I do have money for hair dye. So (laughs) I'm okay. So the universe and its mother has been like pushing me to watch Euphoria. Like I keep getting ads for it. I keep getting videos for it. I keep getting like recommended to me. And so I just started watching Community. (laughs) I love you. Because I was like, eh, no. So I'm on season three of Community now, and it's fine. It's a show. Yeah, I have to watch that one soon. I'll collect my thoughts, and then maybe I'll, like, say something when I'm finished through it. But it's it's a watch. Yeah, we're talking about that one in May, and we're talking about Euphoria in September, I want to say, or August. So... Yeah, I just love that that you. Were, I was like, okay, she's gonna say she's into euphoria, and then she, and then you said, so I watched Community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen a few episodes of Euphoria, and I, just, I have a so teenage depressing. daughter, and I'm just like, I can't watch this. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like a lot of tragedy and glitter. Like I'll be honest, it, is. it just looks like it the is. overall vibe that I get, and I'm just like, oof, I'm not. Mm. Like, I don't want to imagine that this is my child, so I'm just going to live in denial. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> live in denial. <laughs> she still lot. plays with dolls. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. I love that. Hey. She does not. I just, in my mind. Oh, I was just saying, Hey, I have what? a Michael Myers doll my sister gave me for Halloween. <gasps> I have so much Michael Myers stuff. I oh, have to hang these shelves. Stand. Stand. You're so what I'm into is the new Hulu show called The Dropout with Amanda Seyfried. And it's about, um, you know, what's her name now? I can't remember. See, I told you, I th- my brain is so the, the blood chick, right? Yes, the blood chick. <laughs> Anna, is it Anna something or no? What the hell? No, isn't that a different show? Thera, like inventing That's Anna's a on show. Netflix, but like Thera, yeah. few, uh, some stupid. It's, it's Thera, it's uh, Ther- Ther- Theranos. Which was the blood thing where you take one Elizabeth Holmes, where you take one drop of blood, you drop it in there, it tests you for everything. And it's really interesting. I mean, I think it probably did not need to be a series. It probably could have just been a movie. But Amanda Seyfried, I, she is such a fabulous actress. Uh, she is such a good yes, Once again, movie. go watch A Mouthful of Air. Please, please, please. She's so fucking good in that. And that's such an important movie. But she's such a good, good actress. And She's doing a really good job in this. Um, you know, it's just, I think that's the reason to watch it is her performance. Other than that, it's its okay. It just could have been just a movie. We're going to get into 10 Things I Hate About You. We're going to be spoiling this movie. So if you, if 
you haven't read Taming of the Shrew, <laughs> if you haven't seen this, it was out since 1999. Sorry. Susie and Mal, I I would like to politely ask you to not tell us how old you were or not <laughs> when this came out. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I love this movie so dang much, and I really am glad we're going to be talking about it. I think this will be fun. It, I still love watching it. I still I don't care um, if people say it's problematic. I still love the sing- Heath Ledger singing. Still one of my all-time favorite romantic scenes in any movie ever. So uh, I want to get into first just, you know, around this time in the 90s, there was this trend of updating Shakespeare, taking Shakespeare and putting Shakespeare in modern times, but with modern language instead of using the same language like they did with Romeo and Juliet. That one movie that I watched recently, Midsummer Night's Dream. So, and this is one of my favorite Shakespeare plays too, but there was like, there was also the movie O, which is another great, great movie. Josh Hartnett is so damn good in that movie. And Julia Stiles is also in that. Yes. But Josh Hartnett sticks out to me more because he has these subtle things that he does. There's a scene where he just zips up his jacket when he's sitting in the hall and he doesn't say anything. And there's something in the way he does it that just says everything about the character. Anyway, I love Josh Hartnett. I met him at um, a frat party once. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. <laughs> he should have a bigger career. But anyway, <laughs> he's my number yeah. one favorite. <laughs> right of after Finn Wittrock, Christian Bale. Jeff Bridges. Don't Jeff forget. Bridges, she got so George mad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So back to Shakespeare. So anyway, so this was one of the ones that was updated. So they took Taming of the Shrew, updated it. Set it in high school and in Seattle because Seattle was still big at this time. Uh, it was like the hip hopping in place to be. I'm sure it still is. I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty small now. <laughs> I mean, like it was the in thing towards it was still the nineties. Grunge was still pretty big then. It was the lacrosse right. of the two thousands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so. I want to know, Meg, were you into, well, I know you love this movie, but were you into, because I know you like Shakespeare. I know you were a theater person like me. Were you, did you love Taming of the Shrew? And are you into these updated, modernized versions of? So I, I have been going to Shakespeare plays since I was probably 10. Um, So Yes, I absolutely love Shakespeare. I um, I have performed Shakespeare. I was critically acclaimed for my role as Adriana in A Comedy of Errors. <laughs> but I, at first, okay, so as far as the movies and stuff goes, like Hamlet as the Lion King, chef's kiss. <laughs> I think that was an amazing. I hate, uh, like, I'll get shit for it, but I think the Lion King was a fantastic adaptation of hamlet especially for kids but that's a whole other conversation um i really really enjoyed the movie adaptations i loved romeo and juliet i think that baz Luhrmann's version did such an amazing job of keeping the original text and but making it so it was really what william shakespeare wanted was to be accessible to people because we think of william shakespeare now as being so like 
up here and everything like that. And that's not what William Shakespeare was. He wrote shit for the common folk. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the adaptations. I love when they're faithful adaptations. I'm like, she's the man is not my favorite <laughs> adaptation of the Twelfth Night. I don't hate it. Susie, I, <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> I, have, I do too. I do too. I understand that this was the one that Susie remembers because she was a zygote. <laughs> When 10 things I hate about during the golden era of modern Shakespeare adaptations goes. Excuse me, I was two years old when this movie came out. <clears throat> oh my god, I hate you so much. Oh, I asked you not to tell me how old you were, Susie. I hate but to kind of go off on that, I remember at one point I was at a bookstore and I saw something. It was Shakespeare in emojis. And it was entire works of Shakespeare as text messages and emojis. And I remember, like, the theater snob in me got really, really upset at first. And then then I looked through it and I was just like, no, my man Billy Shakes would have 100% loved that because it was his words in a language that people could understand. And it made it more accessible to people. And I think that's what I really love about modern adaptations. As long as they get like. I don't think you need to change the script necessarily to make Shakespeare accessible. I think that so much of that is in the people who are performing. I think it's it's less about the language and more about the acting. If that makes sense. No, that's I think that's the perfect way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. So Paula. Are you a Shakespeare fan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think the emojis version is I know, brilliant. I, I haven't seen it, but now I want to find it. <laughs> it's, it's so brilliant. brilliant. It's That's so awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Now, I got to say, I was not a fan of Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, but I'm not really a fan of Baz Luhrmann, period. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I hate Baz Luhrmann. Thank you. Except I, Strictly Ballroom. Both of you get out. <laughs> this is my hated, podcast now. Hated Moulin Rouge. Almost thank got up and walked out of the theater. That's how much I hated that movie. Anyway. <clears throat> so could we say it was your galaxy quest? <laughs> I left the theater in galaxy quest. Yeah. Okay. Oh we could say that. Which is funny because I love that movie now. Okay. I have not changed my mind. <laughs> But I think that um, them updating and and adapting Shakespeare is is great because the language is very hard for especially modern teenagers to in in any era even back when we were teenagers, which was not that long ago. Okay, it wasn't. It's hard. We're to... basically still teenagers. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's hard sometimes to decipher that language because it we're so far removed from it. So I think the adaptations are fantastic, and this was one of my favorite movies at that time because i mean who doesn't love keith ledger and who wouldn't want them to sing to to them yes yes and i'm so glad i have found someone who agrees with me about baz lerman because i love i love strictly ballroom i will say that that's one of my favorite movies um but everything after that he just oh he drives he just he's, he's like nails on the chalkboard for me Mm-hmm. And it's weird yeah. because he does stuff that on the surface is something I would like. I don't know about his Elvis movie because I don't know if we need another Elvis. And Bruce Campbell is um, the benchmark best Elvis ever. So it's very hard to beat that for me. So I don't know. Bruce Campbell but... is Aaron's number one all-time favorite actor. 
<laughs> again should be on everybody's list but yes. you know, I, that's I another honestly, conversation i'm not gonna lie so i don't like romeo and juliet i don't like it no hate it do not like it hate that story anyway story i will not get mad at Baz lerman's version of it because it made a lot of people interested and made shakespeare accessible to a whole new generation in a way that i don't think the 1960s is it 60s or 70s 60s with like the girl with the giant tits Mm -hmm. um and the way that movie did or the original text did right no and i agree i you know what what he did and you know a lot of people liked it fantastic but i personally hated it (laughs) and and i was never a fan of story either damn it paula i'm sorry sorry. (laughs) look someone's got to be devil's advocate okay exactly hey paula um (laughs) so Susie, do you love shakespeare do you love baz lerman do you (laughs) or are you in lerman just exists i suppose I didn't say I like that. I like that version of Romeo and Juliet. No, no listen. <laughs> the best version of Romeo and Juliet is the Garden Gnome animated kids film. Romeo and no, Juliet, no, and Juliet which has is sung by Sir Elton John. It's amazing. It is amazing. Amazing. Okay, now I have I to agree. watch this movie. That's number one <laughs> best it's Romeo and Juliet yeah. adaptation. Best adaptation you that I've pretty much had me story. at gnomes. <laughs> It's amazing. It's it's so good. Oh my god! And I like all the all like the key moments in the story are set to like Elton John songs, and there's even like he even wrote like a special one just for the movie with Lady Gaga, which is also freaking great. And I'm just like, yes. Erin's filling out her 2023 schedule, and it's going to be Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Fun story: the voice actor for Romeo. Is her number one favorite actor. She doesn't even know who it is. <laughs> this is never good. <laughs> it's never. This is the new flip Smitsmock. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I have Susie here, though, because whenever I have one of my Finn crew on here, because that's what I'm calling Jen, Susie, and Aaron A, that's my Finn crew, because <laughs> we have our own yeah. DM and everything. <laughs> With a wick like, crew. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, we're the Finn Wit crew, just saying. <laughs> you you already said the Romeo and Juliet, but how did you how do you feel about Shakespeare overall? Oh, like I him? I think I think he's fine. Listen, I just like right now, like overall throughout my history of living, my relationship with Shakespeare has been very like moderate and like, oh yes, I like the works of this of this fun bard. But as of late, I've, I've developed um, a seething like dislike for Hamlet because <laughs> I have to do like a I've been having to do a, a script analysis for it in one of my theater classes, and it it's five acts, and my this is th- listen this is March Madness. My brain is not like I'm going cuckoo for cocoa puffs. I can't do this. I can't. I'm, I'm too exhausted. It's this is, why, sir? Has there, has there been a good adaptation then, for the Scottish I found, play? I found out that there's like Ethan Hawke did a Hamlet movie, 
where he's reciting to be or not to be it's in so Blockbuster, funny. and it is like. <laughs> I love Hamlet. David Tennant did a version. Oh my goodness. So good. good. Love that So good. Andrew Scott, look up his version of To Be or Not To Be of that soliloquy. Yes. Yes. He makes it like so conversational and so good. Like, oh my God. Yeah. I guess to revise my answer, I do like the bard and the things that have come out of his. Just not Hamlet at the moment. Yeah. They're not Hamlet at the moment. We're just, we're we're keeping a, we're keeping a a good space of Hamlet. Maybe like after I've been separated from it for like two months, we'll, we'll come back to like, come around to loving it. Love Lion King though. Great song. Great soundtrack. Great story. Yes. But I like that it's, that different writers like modernize it for kind of like today's audience, so to speak, because it does make his works more accessible to people who don't want to read five act plays. <laughs> yeah, and don't want to go through all the thoust doth thy mother know you weareth her drapes to the commissary like or you know well that's where I that's where I like I was talking about how I feel like the actors really play such a huge like you talk about yeah. that soliloquy how the the actors play such a huge part on whether or not Shakespeare is accessible because I feel like a lot of the movies and a lot of the adaptations we see of people who are speaking Shakespearean or Elizabethan, um, they don't actually know what they're saying. Yeah, it's very it's very dry and kind of like surface level. But then there are actors that do like they uh, they, they, uh, they like the way that they say it and um, the way they act it out. They just make it seem like conversational and like, oh yeah, this is not so far removed from from today's language. And yeah. also, you are very wrong. My favorite adaptation of any of Shakespeare's work is She's the Man. Just get out, Meg. Just get out. No. No. Cancel. I didn't say it was bad. <laughs> and I'll just quickly say, Meg, there is a new version of the Scottish play that just recently came out, directed by one of the Cohen brothers with Francis McDormand and um, Denzel Washington. And it's supposed to be fantastic. I'm surprised you haven't heard of this. I'm excited because I love that play. But they really have not adapted it at all. That's my favorite Shakespeare play. So, um, yeah, the the one you never say the name of. If people don't know that, that is Google out damn spot. Uh, so I'll just quickly add that I I I like a lot of the uh, Shakespeare adaptations, like the modern day ones. I will say there are times when if it's updated and they use the same language, it comes off as a gimmick like that Midsummer Night's Dream with Finn Whitrock. And I did not like that movie. <laughs> I'm, I wanted to like that movie so badly because of the cast. But uh, I just, it, that was, that to me Wait, was a good are we talking about the Michelle Pfeiffer one or was there another one? No, this was another one with, um, okay. it's with Finn Whitrock and Lily Rabe. Um, Hamish, I can remember how, but he's such a fantastic actor from, um, the most recent thing, Midnight Mass, um, and a bunch of other people. Because I love the Stanley Tucci, Michelle Pfeiffer. No, it's not that one. This was, a, one. this was a recent I think it's Hamish Linklater or Linklater. Thank you. I can never remember how to pronounce his last name. But yeah, he's fan- And it's a great, everybody's good in it. It's just very gimmicky, but it is nice to see Lily Rabe not get tortured by Ryan Murphy sometimes, so. Uh, but yeah, so I, I like them. I think uh, as far as like the ones that were the teen ones, I actually, I love 10 Things I Hate About You so much, but O is actually probably my favorite just because 
I just, I think it's great. And talking and speaking of actors who really get what's going on, I think everybody in that one really got what Othello was and really knew what they were doing and what their characters were doing. And I think the same can be said for 10 Things I Hate About You. And I think that's why it works so well. And also the cast behind the scenes loved each other. Like all the cast has said, this was a rare experience where they all got along. And even though Heath Ledger didn't come on until they had already started filming, he and everybody was worried he wouldn't fit in, but then he did. And so I, so I think that's also what makes this film work is because everybody's working well together. So I think that makes a difference. Okay, so let's get into the characters here and their relationships with each other. Um, so let's start with the sisters, Kat and Bianca. And Kat, of course, is the older sister, if you don't already know the story. Um, let's get into their relationship first. So what do you think about the sisters here, Meg, who are not permitted to date because... <sighs> their father wants to control their sexuality. <laughs> so aside from that, I remember in 1999, it was like this really funny kind of jokey thing. And and as the years have gone by, it feels kind of gross as far as their dad goes. So I was Bianca's age when this movie came out. And my sister was Kat's age. My sister also looks looked in high school and behaved very much like Kat. Um, I was not so much like Bianca, but my sister, like Kat, reminded me so much of my sister. And my sister and I were having such a really, really hard time in our relationship. So this movie, like, holds this little special place because, like, those two sisters kind of came together at the end. And I was like, well, maybe I can have that again with my sister. So I, I get very, like, emotional kind of talking about Kat and Bianca's relationship because I feel like, to me, it's really realistic. Um they're not always nice to each other. They don't understand each other and they sometimes don't want to make the effort to do so. And sometimes when one is trying, the other one isn't receiving it. And yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, don't, don't apologize. Um, this is, this movie came out in like the hardest time of my life. And, the, and a lot of that was to do with my relationship with my sister who was going through the hardest time of her life. And my sister was the popular girl who decided she didn't want to be popular anymore. And then she wasn't. And she played soccer. She like looked just like her and everything. And it was just, it. but this is like a really fun movie and everything. But I just thought, I thought their relationship was really realistic i think so much of it mirrored my relationship with my sister at the same time and so much it was because i was the same age as bianca and and these sisters were the same age and my sister is the point where she was wanting to flee and i so desperately wanted her to stay but also didn't want her around me at all because we were so different um i never schemed to pay someone to date her <laughs> Um, <laughs> I didn't go that far, um, but I do remember my now husband, then crush, being terrified of her because my husband was around at the same time when this movie came out. We were friends at the time or whatever, 
I'm trying to not cry. So I love their relationship. I think that it's really realistic and I will talk a little bit more about it maybe later. I don't like being first. I don't like this. <laughs> I changed my I'm mind. remind you next time that you're complaining. I'll remind you. I just you. don't like to go after Carla because she takes all of my thoughts. Yeah. Well, that'll happen tomorrow. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Paula, your thoughts on Kat and Bianca? Um, I, I also have a sister. Um, I'm the older sister in this instance. Um, and my sister's two years younger than me. And that's kind of one of the things I always pay attention to when there's siblings in a movie or a show is how how they re- how how they act against each other and if that feels realistic to me. And I also kind of got that that vibe of this being a real sibling relationship and I really really liked that so <laughs> there wasn't a lot relatable between us just because we actually um my sister's deaf so we actually went to totally different high schools growing up um so we didn't have a lot of interaction socially that way but outside of school I think that actually contributed to us kind of having some of those same issues where we couldn't really relate to each other because we weren't in in that setting together so it's it was kind of interesting to see going back and watching the movie now um watching that relationship kind of evolve through the movie um and having um also dealing not just with what's going on in high school but what's going on at home with you know with their dad and with their mother having left which is something that we can relate to as adults that happened to us so that was kind of a um a new way to view the movie as an adult, because I haven't seen this movie in 20 years, <laughs> you know, since it, since it came out, although I loved it at the time. Um, so, so I get a little bit different perspective now on, on it being an adult. Um, and it was, it was very interesting to, to see how their relationship evolved, which it wasn't really something I paid attention to when I was a kid. Um, but I do now. So. So Susie, do you, do you have, do you have siblings? Well, I, I, uh, well, I do. Okay. You don't have to say. Um, My sibling story is very sad, so I'm not going to get into it. But the thing is, is that I grew up with no siblings. And for me, it's always interesting whenever I watch media to see the relationships that siblings have. And something that I always found interesting about the story of like, of Bianca's interactions is that they, like from what I've gathered from my years of watching stuff <laughs> is that they do, they, they, they feel like really real siblings because like they're very different and they like, they do fight, but at the end of the day, they still care for each other and they love each other. And like, even though sometimes they might do like, <laughs> they might pay off a guy to date their sibling or they, they might, like piss off their dad by getting into like a lot of fights and stuff they're still like okay if you want to go to this party because i love you i'm gonna go to like you really want to go to prom and even though i'm not going to do this for any i wouldn't do this for anyone else i'm going to do it for you because you're my sister and i care for you and i think it's really sweet to see like how they kind of start like you can kind of see them start to come around a little bit more in the end and kind of accept each other's differences a little bit more and support each other a little bit more than at the beginning of the movie where they were really at each other's throats. <laughs> but I just, 
I like their sibling relationship just overall. I think it's really good to see that like progression of them going from like really like fighting a lot to going to like really care for each other and and want to support each other and be there for each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm the older sister and I have a younger sister who's, you know, like two and a half years younger than me. And, you know, we fought a lot when we were growing up, but as an older sibling, when you're an older sibling, you kind of had this this feeling of wanting to care for your younger sibling, no matter what is this natural thing where you're very protective of them. So like we would fight, we could fight, but if anyone, anyone did anything to my sister, said anything bad about my sister, th that was it. You know, I would take my sister's side over the person's side all the time. I, so as an older sibling, it's just kind of this natural thing where even though you might be fighting all the time, you're not getting along. It's like this instinct of like, oh, you, you're going to, no, you cannot pick on my sister and no one was ever good enough for my sister, that kind of stuff. But we did fight constantly. And, you know, we kind of hung out with the same people though. We've always kind of had the same friends, but it's kind of not. And, you know, like we went to the same high school, but she was a couple of years younger than me. Uh, but we still kind of had some of the same friends, but some of not the same friends. So we were always in the same circles, but we still kind of fought a lot. And I would say, I mean, this movie came out. I was just out of high school pretty much when this movie came out. So I wasn't in high school at the time of this movie. But I do think this was a very, very, very realistic portrayal of a sister relationship because even though Bianca, I think, is very much like, you know, I want to be able to have fun in high school. And this is what high school is for me right now is I want to be able to have fun. I want to date. I, you know, I have this crush on this asshole guy, but I want to date him, which is very, you know, that's very high school <laughs> anyway. And feeling like her because of her sister, even though it's really her dad, but because of her sister, she can't do this. And wanting to have that freedom and feeling like she's being pulled down by that. And there's all, there's a secret, you know, there, which that she didn't know about her sister and then finding that stuff out. And so, you know, it's like they're, they're butting heads constantly and Kat, but Kat really, I think at the heart of it, doesn't want her sister to go through what she did. Mm -hmm. So that's why she's trying to do that. When I think what she ends up learning in the end is that she can't, her sister isn't her and she can't control what happens to her sister. And she has to give her sister a little bit of freedom. And I think that's the ultimate lesson here for Kat in her relationship with her sister, at least is that her sister, you know, you know, even Bianca says it, you know, I'm not going to, what makes you think I'm going to make the same mistakes you made? What makes you think I'm going to do the same thing you did? You know? Yeah. So it's like that kind of thing. It's the letting go. So. I feel like that interaction was the most realistic of all of them, though, where Kat like goes and she she gives this big confession about what happened with her and Joey. And she was just like, I wanted you to make your own like make your own decisions about him. And, and Bianca's like, so you kept this giant secret from me and still hindered my choices because you wanted me to make up my own mind. And just that whole interaction where Cat as the older sibling so desperately wants to protect her sister while at the same time kind of resenting her sister which is understandable and Bianca not 
understanding her reasoning because I feel like I'm the youngest sibling and I never really I never really got that with my sister mm-hmm. like I was like why can't you just let me live my life why do you have to control everything um and I just felt like that interaction where Kat's like I'm gonna try and open up with you and everything and talk to you and Bianca's like this is messed up get out of my room I just I, yeah no that's very true yeah Okay, well, let's move on to Kat and Patrick's relationship, which is the love story at the heart of this. I mean, there are a couple of other love stories, but this is the main central one. And Patrick Verona, of course, is played by the late, great, amazing Heath Ledger, who I can't imagine anybody else in this role. Heath Ledger is was one of the best actors we have ever, ever had, hands down. So sometimes it makes me emotional just talking about Heath Ledger. Honestly, watching Heath Ledger, watching this movie, it was like, ah, uh, I remember seeing this and just being like, I'm going to love this actor forever. And yeah, I still remember the day he passed. So it's, it's, it's very, very sad to me to watch him sometimes just because I just can't imagine the amazing art he would have given us if he was still alive. So, so Kat and Patrick's relationship, you know, <laughs> they kind of, you know, he's paid to go to date her and they have the, you know, enemies to lovers pretty much as there is their storyline. And they're both the outcasts of the school. And Patrick actually, I think is, I, I love Patrick anyway. So Meg, what are your thoughts on their relationship? <laughs> I was going to say Aaron's just like going to... I'm just gonna take God. over the whole thing. Sorry. Like, do you sorry. have any thoughts? No, I this love is their... one of my favorites. So I, sorry. No, I love their relationship. I think it's so sweet. I I get so anno- I get so mad watching this movie. Like I love this movie. I get so annoyed with how and I have always felt this way about how Cameron and the hell's the A V guy's name. I can't think of Michael. Name. Michael like how can I forget his name (laughs) I get so mad every time when they're like we gotta find someone who's willing to date Kat and like they don't even take Kat like maybe she doesn't want like they just have to find some willing guy to date her and she's so desperate that she'll just like grab onto anybody I mean it's Heath Ledger so yes of course But before that, when he's like, well, if there was no other women and no sheep, are there sheep like that? Like, why? Why? Like all these low quality, horrible Mm -hmm. creepers, like, well, they're losers. So they'll date Kat and like this beautiful, independent, (sighs) strong feminist woman. And they're like, well, no one wants to date her because she's so challenging. Um, I love their relationship. I love Patrick being so vulnerable with her. I forget about the paying aspect of their relationship a little bit. You could almost call this a fake relationship trope. Yeah. But I feel like it's fake in name only because I think after Patrick, after the first time Patrick gets paid, he's just really intrigued by her and just wants to be around her. And the money is a side benefit but i think he would want to be around cat regardless and i think you obviously see that they're paintballing and the detention like (laughs) it's so cute like it feels so real and so genuine and i can so feel for cat when she finds out that patrick is being paid i can feel that heartbreak because everything was so real 
up to that point and to have that illusion shattered it broke my heart for her honestly but when he said I'm like everyone is saying like he ate everything but the beak of a duck <laughs> he spent a year in San Quentin when he was eating spaghettios in Milwaukee with his day with his grandma like it's such a cute relationship and it feels very 17 like it I don't know a, like a way to say that it doesn't sound patronizing but it feels like a very 17 year old relationship where they think they're very grown up and they're not because 17 year olds aren't I feel like 25 year olds are barely there at this point I feel like I'm barely grown up and I have two children <laughs> But it's just, it's it's really sweet. And I feel like the Julie Stiles and Heath Ledger had such great chemistry. I believed the heartbreak when Julie, when Kat found out that Patrick was being paid. I, it was very weird to see smoking so prevalent in a movie again. That's true. <laughs> but like when they're in this middle of this argument, and he takes out a cigarette and she takes it and throws it. I'm just like, oh my. I just I love them like I I try to be mad at Patrick for taking money to take her out but I just couldn't I couldn't do it like I know there's problematic shit in this movie but I just I don't care because I love it because <laughs> mm -hmm. the play is problematic if you're gonna look at it that way <laughs> yeah <laughs> so Paula I <laughs> I love I love it too. It's it, like you said. It's it is really very cute and sweet and adorable, you know. And I think it it turned very quickly for Patrick. Yes, initially it was a payoff, but like you said, as soon as he, you know, as soon as he started with that relationship, it immediately turned, and he came across very caring and interested in her genuinely. Um, it wasn't just about the money and. I think, I know it wasn't explicitly said, but he took that money and that's what he used to buy that guitar for her. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah. you know, he didn't even profit off of it, really, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed that relationship. It, it was very sweet to watch. Well, and not just the guitar uh, was paying to be able to sing the song to her. Oh, right. I, and the sentiment. band, um, the mm -hmm. the singer that she that she really liked, he called in a favor for that. I mean, he he really paid attention to her, and mm -hmm. and did things for her. Yeah, I didn't talk about the song because I thought it was a whole. It is. It is. I was just saying the <laughs> yeah. money wise. I was just saying the money wise that it was like all spent. I'm just sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was all spent on her. Mm -hmm. So, it, as as much as that wasn't a great thing that he did he still turned it around and and used it for her so you know we can, we can still forgive him i guess <laughs> he's Heath ledger we he, exactly him. he gets a pass <laughs> yes so Susie, oh i love their relationship it is it is so sweet and it is very like of like very teenagery, like when you think it's anything and everything in the world to you, and it's and I like from the beginning you can kind of tell that he's just like taking the piss and like oh yeah I'm gonna date this girl for like seventy five bucks <laughs> and we'll see what happens. 
but then when you see that the more he gets to know like the more he starts learning about her and all her likes and dislikes and and the, the more time he spends hanging out with her and talking with her you can see how like real it's becoming to him and he be and he opens up to her like they open up to each other and they're very vulnerable they exchange like my I think one of my favorite scenes of them together is when they're exchanging like the rumors that people say about them Mm -hmm. and he's like oh how about um Bobby and his balls and she's like oh yeah that's true but he was trying to grow up me and he's like how about you in the porn career (laughs) and like he does like the final thing of like even opening up to her at the dance and he also does so many things for her like he like he has the he asked the band to perform at their prom which was like a really big thing <laughs> and he he like he even says he gets her the guitar because he's like oh I had some extra money lying around you know so it's whatever but you want and he like he remembered when she told him that she was drunk she was like this is what I should do write music and he like filed that away and even at the end when he gets her the guitar he's like you know you should have this for when you start your band like she by all aspects might not have remembered that conversation but he did and he held on to that information because he knew that it was something that like even if she was like drunk it was something important to her and even when she was wasted he didn't he didn't take advantage of her he he mm-hmm. he, he tried to keep her conscious <laughs> with her concussion try to help her out and even like took her home and was like very respectful and everything and it's like oh man it's like, a yes, low bar it but it's not, an important it's, it, it's one it's a low bar but it's <laughs> very, very important very <laughs> but like they're 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 just their relationship is like even if it did get started under very like not oh geez good reasons like they do you can see that they do care for each other and it does hurt them when they're when like she gets mad at him and and he has to confess that he has and they're separated and you can see the, the effect that it has on them both and I think it's really sweet how like these two armadillos just turn into beautiful butterflies yeah I've never heard <laughs> like, the armadillo thing but that's well, amazing they, they're like they have their walls up and you know yes I, 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 just, the like, hard um, shells yeah. the hard shells yeah but they turn into butterflies <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have to use that one from now on <laughs> That's yeah, that's that's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. Um yes, yes, their their chemistry is amazing. I this is one of my all-time favorite romantic pairings because of that chemistry. I, I also love it in the play as well. Um, and I've seen like good versions of this play and bad versions, and it all hinges on this the the their chemistry. That's how the play works. That's the only way it works. That's the only way this movie would have worked. And their chemistry is perfect. And yes, it is a low bar to be like, oh, he's so impressive because he doesn't take advantage of her when she's drunk. But it's still so important because that says so much about consent in general, because that is one of the criticisms of this movie. But the fact that he respects her consent there in the car is is incredible because he could have just i mean he won't even kiss her and that i mean not even a kiss and most people be like oh it's just a kiss but she's drunk she's like really drunk and she was upset at the party and it wouldn't have been the right time and he knew that at the right time 
was the right time when they kissed during paintball. That was like the perfect first kiss to have. And that was like a perfect date to have and everything. And they, their chemistry is great, but also just the way they interact with each other. And they both have, you know, they're both armadillos, as Susie said, but they both do have those walls up in different ways and for different reasons, probably. And they're both thought of as like these like quote unquote freaks in the school. And they're not, I mean, they're just, they're really, they have really great hearts, both of them. And I think what you learn the most about Patrick is, you know, Patrick is supposed to be this scary guy who's dangerous and he smokes and all this stuff, but he's not at all. He is just the sweetest of sweets guys, really. I mean, he's just some of the lines he has in here, like when he tells Cameron, you know, you know, you're, you're twice the man that Joey is, you know, you, do you really love this girl? Is it really worth it? If you really like her, then it is. And don't let anybody ever, ever tell you, you know, that you can't be what you want to be, that you aren't, you know, that I'm not phrasing it exactly right, but you know what I'm saying? So that's a great scene. And also, you know, I think a re another reason that Patrick instantly likes Kat is Kat is not afraid of him ever. There's not a single second where she's intimidated by him. And I think that intrigues him. It intrigues him that she is not impressed with Joey. And I think a big reason Patrick actually does this isn't just because of the money and because I'll get to go out with a girl, whatever. I think he does it because he hates Joey and he hates what Joey stands for. And so to him, it's like taking money away from a douchebag. And it's not right what he did. But I think in some ways it's easier to forgive him because of the fact that he doesn't go out and spend all this money and he actually likes her and cares for her. And, uh, you know, he is attracted to her, not just because she's beautiful, but because of who she is on the inside. And they both are vulnerable with each other. And I think that's why it hurts Kat so much because she was so vulnerable with him. And it was the first time she had been vulnerable since Joey. And the way Joey treated her after she lost her virginity to him was horrendous, sadly typical of a lot of teenage boys, but horrendous. And so I think for her, it was like, oh, I'm going to go through this crap again. And also to know that it wasn't just him that did this it was her sister too so double betrayal so yeah but but i love them together i love their final scene together so damn much i love we'll talk about the the poem later so i'm really getting into that but i just they just have such i just i love them so so much i could watch like sadly we will never get it but i could have watched like a sequel i don't but, but like you said, there's 17 I hate about you. <laughs> yeah but like you said, they were 17, so I don't know if their relationship lasted past high school because it's very much a 17-year-old relationship, but it could have, so, you know. And the um, line is, don't let anyone ever make you feel like you don't deserve what you want. Thank and you. I agree. I was That's like, one oh, of my favorite lines yes. of the entire movie. And the way he says it, because it's just like, you know, he's... Well, because Cameron's whining. Uh, Cameron and Cameron, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that character. Uh, okay, well, we're going to get to Cameron here in just a second here. But first, uh, Carla, <laughs> Carla said, also without the scene where Patrick sings on the bleachers, we don't have the Jamie has a gun moment. <laughs> Not another true. teen movie. Oh, man. That's true. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. And so, movie in the 90s, it's a higher bar to 
not kiss or take advantage of a girl who's drunk. Yeah. <laughs> it's still kind of a big thing now, I think, frankly, but <laughs> especially just even a kiss. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the other romantic relationship in this. Cameron, played by JGL, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, who really didn't want to do this movie, on he said, but then he ended up loving it. But um, And Bianca. And Bianca, of course, likes Joey, even though she slowly realizes what a piece of crap Joey is and how shallow he is and gets bored. And Cameron, of course, is instantly smitten with Bianca sets this whole thing up is actually the mastermind behind the whole thing brings joey in you know along with his friend i forgot his name again michael michael <laughs> he's forgettable uh no <laughs> so your thoughts on this relationship so it's very interesting okay first up i love joseph gordon levitt i love david crumholtz who plays michael <laughs> I think he did a good job being such a weird, like, how are you in high school? Him and what is the Bowie Lowenstein or Bogie Lowenstein? Yeah. How are these people in high school? You are like 45 years old already <laughs> with your like slacks and buttoned up shirts and talking about stock markets in high school. Anyway, that is beyond the point. Um, when I first saw this movie, um, I think it's because I was Bianca's age. I was like, oh, this is so cute and everything. And every subsequent time I've watched it, it's been more like, Jesus Christ, you are children. Like, if Kat and Patrick are like this realistic and lovely kind of high school romance where you could kind of see that. And maybe they stick together for a year after high school, or maybe they're just enjoying growing together. And, and this is a, I don't think a relationship ending is a relationship failing per se. This just felt very shallow and everything. It was a foil basically to Cat and Patrick. So all of the depth, all of that beauty that we see in Cat and Patrick who fall in love with each other because of who they are not because of how they look not because of how the world is perceiving them cameron and brianca are the opposites cameron offers a two to bianca in french and like just stays one lesson ahead of her <laughs> to tutor her in french um he instantly falls in love with her he does not care about how she feels about anything she doesn't care about how he feels about anything. It just feels like these are two attractive people who are going to wind up being together. And once she realizes that Joey's a narcissistic, narcissistic, narcissistic piece of shit, um, she decides, well, I may as well go hang out with Cameron. He'll give me a ride home from this party. And then I may as well kiss Cameron because he gave me a ride home from the party. And then even... They use each other in this really weird way. And Cameron uses Kat, uses Patrick. Like, it's all, it's all icky. Their relationship, it just feels a little icky to me. Because both of them are lying to each other and to themselves about what's going on. And it's just the superficiality of it is just, it's not it for me. 
I will take Michael and what is her friend's name? The, the one in a Mandela. relationship, Mandela. I will take Michael and Mandela's little freaky Shakespeare love fest over over Cameron and Bianca any day. But they go sailing, so I guess there's that. And there's no consequences whatsoever to what they do to Kat. That's true. Like, none. Patrick gets this shit, and then they're like, well, we didn't have anything to do with it. We're gonna go on a boat. <laughs> to invite your sister sailing with you after you, like, humiliated her is, like, asking to drown. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's asking her to kill your new boyfriend because he yeah. orchestrated the whole Come on a boat with me and my boyfriend. Who humiliated you by paying someone to go out with you? Well, yeah, let's go on open to get water. to me. She's like, yeah, oh, sure. She's like, come here, Cameron. Her oh, and no. her, her and her beer flavored nipples. <laughs> we can't forget that. Patrick said it, not me. I'm quoting the movie, Aaron. You can't get mad at me. No, I know Patrick said it. It's one of my favorite lines, honestly. I, yeah. Number one all time favorite line of any movie ever. I'd, I'd forgotten that that was a line, and honestly, I'm going to use that from now on. He's like, wasn't she got beer flavors? <laughs> yeah. My dad, by the way, loves this movie. Yeah, my boomer I think, I think dad. my mom loves this movie, too. Yeah, yeah. my mom loves this movie, too. <laughs> so, so, Paula, do you have better thoughts about this? <laughs> Not better, but warmer is what I meant to say. I'm so cranky about them. No, I think Meg and I agree about this one. It was a very manipulative relationship. And uh, let me preface this by saying I am not a fan of like the love triangle trope anyway. But yeah, it was it was a very manipulative (laughs) on both sides. They're both just trying to get what they want and use the other person. And it was very icky, as Meg said. Um, uh, But feel like there was some you know character growth at the end there a little bit um as as much as as much as they could um yeah because they're teenagers they're still learning things um but I, yeah i was not i was not a fan of that whole whole thing and and michael and uh what was the other gal's name that was a uh, shakespeare gal um that was hopefully I already forgot I mandela mandela <laughs> we can't forget these things. i know <laughs> I've seen this movie like I don't know, like I, 20, 30 times. I literally just finished watching it before we did this. <laughs> but that that was that was a very cute little little side side romance going on there. I thought that was adorable. I yeah, I, I agree. Susie, your thoughts? Yeah, you know how like with um Patrick and Kat, you just get overwhelmed with like all these like nice, warm, fuzzy feelings. When you get to um, Karen and Bianca, you're just whelmed. It's just, it is what it is. It's very like. I know mm. you can be overwhelmed and I know you can be underwhelmed, but are you ever just whelmed? And I remember watching this with my dad, and my dad was like, You're always just whelmed. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. I just, it's, it's very like, like they kiss like two pieces of white bread. I'll tell you that. It's just very like, uh, like sister like, brother, yeah. sorry. Like so, <laughs> it's just no, like this is like that is like I can see like Kat and Patrick maybe making it like through college possibly, 
But those two, like, end of, like, what year are they in? Sophomore? If they get to junior year, they're just going to be separated. It's going to be like, oh, hi, just waving at each other in the hallways. Like, I don't see that relationship going much farther than sophomore year. (laughs) They're going to go out on the boat a couple of times, take a spin around the harbor, and then it's going to be like, okay, we had a great time. See you later. Cameron is a junior or a senior because he goes to prom. Oh, yeah, because she's a junior. Bianca and Cassidy, who Gabriel Union. Yeah, he's got a real baby face. I'm thinking junior, possibly. But yeah. yeah, I don't think that relationship is making it like not longer than a year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's 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 just me. Yeah, like Michael and Mandela's relationship is a lot more intriguing. <laughs> just so like he got her a dress for prom. How sweet is that? Also kind of weird because how did he know her measurements? How did he know her size? I feel like Michael's <laughs> the kind of guy who would know. Like, like he does, he does research. <laughs> that was He's in the AV club. He yeah, was yeah. doing theater, and she was obviously going to be doing theater if Shakespeare oh, yeah. was on the table. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. <laughs> They're involved. <laughs> but yeah, I I won't go so far as to say what I said on our when we talked about the dark night and I talked about how much I hated Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie <laughs> and the dark night rises and how much I hate Robin, um, which it's not his fault because I do actually really like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think he's a great actor. I don't like him in this movie because of his character. It's not him. It's his character. He's just so bland and boring and he's just not, uh, he is like white bread and he's so, he thinks he's such a good guy. This is what's annoying about him is he thinks he's like the best guy in the world and he's so good and he has no faults and problems. And he never, ever, ever once ever in this movie feels guilt or shame for what he did. He never does. And that's so annoying to me because it's like, he's yes, he's a night. He's like a quote unquote nice guy. And a lot of those quote unquote nice guys are actually assholes sometimes and so it's like that's what's annoying about him is there's not a single moment where it's like oh I'm gonna come here and make amends for what I've done and there are deleted scenes from this movie there is a deleted scene with Kat and Bianca where Kat you know yells and screams at Bianca in the hallway at the school and so there are scenes that weren't in it that probably make that inviting her on a sailboat scene probably work a little bit better but they got cut but yeah, he's totally just, uh, he's just bland, white bread. Anyway, so yeah, they're just, they're bland and boring and not my cup of tea. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's move on to Joey, the scumbag. I just briefly, what we, how we can discuss Joey <laughs> is everybody can go around and use a couple of words of how much they hate Joey. <laughs> this is the worst Joey I'm going to talk about this weekend. <laughs> the worst. 
I'm glad that you appreciate my joke, Aaron. I do. We're talking about while you were sleeping, by the way. <laughs> On our next episode. Um, Andrew Keegan, first of all, I have never been a fan of Andrew Keegan. I never liked him. I always thought he was such a D-bag in everything that he did. Everything. I hated him in everything. I've never seen a role Andrew Keegan played. Ever. In anything. I hated him so much. in this. And this is kind of my biggest sticking point in this movie is Joey is so unlikable. He's so gross that he's not interesting. That's true. I like interesting villains. I will watch a movie for a villain if they're interesting. And he's not. He's just such a Delta Bravo. And I. <laughs> Douchebag. Delta Bravo. <laughs> I loved watching Susie's face. <laughs> That's what my husband and I would call douchebags around our children when they were little. We would call them Delta Bravos. Um, he's just, he's, he's a caricature. He has nothing to him. I just, he's the worst. I hate him so much. And yes, Andrew Keegan cornered the nineties teen douche market. I think I want to thank him for allowing other actors to like deflect off the teen douchebag market. Cause I think there were a lot of them that could have gone there. But wouldn't because Andrew Keegan was like, no, no, this is my space. And heisman all of them away. <laughs> He's the fucking worst. Andrew Keegan and Joey. Sorry if you have an interview with Andrew Keegan coming up next month. On our next episode, <laughs> I'm going to be sitting down with Andrew Keegan. <laughs> and his in-depth interview with his process. <laughs> I hated he him was so like much. everybody. Had, lots of people loved him. He they had like huge crushes on him. I never I got hated him, but like I remember in high school, just this deep burning hatred of this man, and I didn't understand why. But I watched this movie, and I'm like, I get it. You're yeah, correct. I know. Pubescent Meg. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Paula. I know you love Joey, but so defender. Oh, that's my favorite. Oh God, no! I can't even. I can't even finish that sentence. Uh, no, he he really did corner the market. Did did he ever play a role that was not a douchebag? I don't think he did. He was an Independence Day, but I feel like he was kind of a douche in Independence Day. Yeah, I just and again, I just really, I, I look. He was like aging myself. He was in like every Teen Mag back in the day. And I was like, I don't get it. Do not get it. Because every role I saw him in was this was the same character. And he gives Joey's a bad name, okay? <laughs> I can't wait to talk about it. He was a douchebag in Independence Day, too. <laughs> he was, right? Right? He's the one he that's hanging out with, like, the pilot's daughter. Yes! <laughs> and he's like, and he looks you don't want to die a virgin, right? And I'm I'm sure that he's a lovely person in real life, but he plays the worst I characters. <laughs> I will give him the benefit of the doubt until such a time as I actually meet him in person, which will probably never yeah. happen, and I'm okay with that. 
I feel like but you don't just, play a douchebag for there are so many roles. Well, I will say this though, and we discussed wrong. this before. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Keegan is her number one all-time favorite. Oh God, Not even. Oh God. Um, no. uh, we've talked about this before that when actors are really good at playing um, villains and bad guys. A lot of times, those actors are actually super nice in real life. So I'm just saying that I don't know anything about Andrew Keegan in real life, but he me never. Either, but me either. I don't believe it. <laughs> no, and all the stuff that was in T magazines, that stuff, all stuff's all made up anyway. So you can't believe any of that. So I, I don't know. Like I, I said, read. he could be a very lovely person. I don't know, but he always played the worst characters. Yeah, the way yeah, he looks in the camera for pictures just makes me not trust mm, him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just, yeah. He even photographs douchebag. <laughs> there were there were too many teen beat magazines. He is still he is like a forty year old man and still has this happening. And I feel like I can't trust that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so Susie, I know you love Joey, <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Joey, Uncle Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, if, I, did, I, I was like looking at his Wikipedia of stuff that he's done to see if maybe he's a nice guy anywhere. And just this caught my eye. Um, Andrew Keegan is in a movie called A Midsummer Night's Rave. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to have to look up. So opinion confirmed. Okay. <laughs> his bio is not giving me a lot of hope. He's, I'm not going to lie. He's Xander um, in that in that in in that. Oh, I love how okay. Um, but no, like, okay, so Joey is a fine looking guy, and then he opens his mouth, and all just... <laughs> he's like, not fine. He, like, he looks okay. He's a very like, 90s looking Like, visually, he looks like 90s okay. And then he opens his mouth, and you're like, oh no, you, sir, are just caca. You're like nope. in 70s nine now instead of in 90s. <laughs> But I just, uh, Joey friggin', uh, is the friggin' worst. Just the worst. And I, I love, I love that in the end, that, uh, Bianca is the one to, like, give him the what for. She's like, this is for my sister. This is for my date. And this is for me. Ha ha. And I'm like, yeah. And I love that even, like, everyone in his life hates him. I love that even the teacher's like, you got your ass beat by a girl. (laughs) Everyone's just, like trolling this man and i love that even his teacher was like one day you're gonna get your ass beat by a woman and it's gonna be great and like yeah he he was a soothsayer he he saw the future because of course like just he annoyed me so much though he kicked cat out of class for no reason he thought she was being sarcastic about the poetry project because up until that point he's only ever been sarcastic and antagonistic towards her teachers she was really looking forward to the assignment. She can't wait. Yeah, she, was, she, was really she just wanted to know it. if it should be an iambic pentameter. <laughs> but no, just why did <laughs> I just know I don't like Joey? Just eh. yeah. I hope his pillow yeah, is I always don't... warm. <laughs> I hope his sock always falls down and gets just scratches under, under his, his foot. Heel. As he's walking. Oh, I hate that. Is like one of the worst feelings in the world. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good thing they wish for him. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm not going to add anything else because I'll just say Joey is. Joey is a scum. Scum. Scumbag. Hate him. Don't even think he's attractive. 
he's not even attractive uh, period I, I i don't find the actor attractive so that uh, you know but yeah screw you joey <laughs> just this joey i love a lot of other joeys <laughs> just this joey i'm gonna take that and cut it into all of your friends episodes <laughs> <laughs> i love that joey screw <laughs> you joey just make a compilation with like different images of joey and just have have that being said <laughs> for each one screw you joey okay well i want to get to the singing number in here i i especially I, I pulled this out as a special moment to talk about there's two of them we're going to talk about and i i wanted to talk about this because this is a scene that has been parried parried parodied god i cannot speak just like you know like carla said before that was parodied in not another teen movie it's also been brought up for years and years afterwards and now a lot of people find this scene problematic because uh you know patrick he's doing this as a way to embarrass himself to get himself back into the good graces of cat after she got drunk and he refused to kiss her because she was drunk and so she felt humiliated and wouldn't talk to him so he does this as a form of humiliating himself but a lot of people find problematic elements in this because they say it's actually humiliating her and putting her on the spot frankly i don't give a crap about that <laughs> i love this damn scene so damn much this is one of the best scenes ever in a romantic comedy period and the way Heath Ledger does this is perfection I could watch this scene on repeat I have watched it on repeat <laughs> I remember driving down the highway once when we had drive-ins and this was playing on the drive-in and I happened to drive down right when that scene was playing and I was like oh my gosh can I pull off and watch this scene <laughs> just this one so I don't care what people say I love this scene. Meg. Tony Bennett, you your number one all-time favorite singer. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to say might irritate people. I think a lot of people look for problems and shit that don't need to have them. There is plenty of stuff in this movie to have feelings about problematic shit. There's plenty in this. I've rewatched it and and thought, oh god, this movie is kind of problematic. I still love it, but there's it's there's stuff. This scene I don't feel like it's one of them. There is such a thing, and I'm sorry, in the '90s, especially early 2000s, the grand romantic gesture, and it was never anything more than that. It was not to put pressure on her to like force her to accept his apology or anything like that. Because you don't see her accept his apology there in the moment on the spot. It's not like he's proposing to her at a wedding or anything like that. And some of that he is trying to even the score between the two of them and it's beautiful and it's romantic and I love it so much. I don't think it's problematic. I think people who are saying frankly Sorry, people are saying that this scene specifically is problematic. Need to read deeper into this movie. Because there are plenty of things in this movie to take issue with. This lovely gesture, this beautiful scene, this cop ass slapping jaunt <laughs> through Tony Bennett's greatest song is not one of them. It's just 
adorable. I am sorry. It's just so sweet. And it doesn't hinge on her saying yes or no to him. We don't see her forgive him. We see her smile mm -hmm. because he's making a fool of himself. And I, I'm sorry. I dare you to not smile watching this scene because it's adorable. And Heath Ledger, I love the fact that none of them knew Heath Ledger could sing mm -hmm. until he started doing it. But <sighs> I feel like so much of this, so a lot of the criticism is watching this through the lens of how we are viewing things today rather than in the time. And I see Carla saying something that people do for themselves rather than the other person. I I don't necessarily agree with that. I feel like it's putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable. She was vulnerable in front of him in a lot of ways. And he, I feel like it's more him trying to even the playing field with her by making himself vulnerable in a way that he isn't necessarily comfortable with. Because he can't just like sit down and get get drunk and 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 be vulnerable in that way. But he is publicly putting himself out there and making himself vulnerable and opening himself up to real humiliation and ridicule, which she's capable of doing if she wants to, as an olive branch. And I think sometimes we should just take things at the at the level they're given and not try to read so much into everything. I agree 110%. So, Paula. <laughs> I had no idea this was even considered problematic. Same. Like, what? Yeah. I, 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 that honestly kind of boggles my mind because it, it never come across that way. It was sweet. It was cute. It was um, embarrassing probably all around, but it was never, it never came across to me as something that was to put. Okay. So, like. It's not a marriage proposal. Okay. It's not a public marriage proposal, which those I have a problem with because that's putting someone mm -hmm. on the spot and putting yeah. pressure on them. But this was just, I mean, if if nobody knew that they had dated, they wouldn't know necessarily who he was seeing too. You know, it could have been any girl on that field. And um, I mean, come on, who doesn't want, you know, who doesn't want a cute guy singing to him, <laughs> you know? It's what would we feel and, that way if it was some unattractive dude singing to us? I think <laughs> and it wasn't Heath Ledger. If it was like that weird creeper dude who follows you to your locker every day. Okay, well, no, that's not fun. I will say that. <laughs> I've experienced that. Not fun. <laughs> but um yeah, I just I, I I don't I don't I didn't I never saw it as problematic. I just thought it it, and it was never intended to be anything of pressure. They specifically said, you need to do something to embarrass yourself and put yourself out there. And that's what he did. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Susie. Um, I thought the song was originally sung by Frankie Valley. That is who Not it is, totally yes. It. Yeah. I was right. really thrown mm -hmm. for a loop there. I was like, what is going on? I was like, is this a Ferris to embarrass Mandela effect situation? Like, what happens? No, I'm just an idiot. No, we're just, it's late, and, and we're, we might be a little bit zooted. It's fine. <laughs> I've been huffing paint fumes all day, so that 
oh yes oh that's one of my like my favorite things to do it's like I'm not like endorsing this for anyone but when I was painting my room like the smell of the paint it was just like really yummy and it's 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 just one of those things it's just not yummy just spray painting stuff okay (laughs) (laughs) but um like I didn't know that this was considered even like problematic because well like you said like people consider it problematic because it's like he's almost like forcing something out of her and it's like not real like I don't see it that way because he's well, he's just putting himself out there he's like um, he put together like a whole production for her he got the band to play he borrowed a microphone he fought off security guards <laughs> and just like danced in the bleachers and was having a great time just like putting himself out there for her and like hey listen like you think you were silly here's me being silly and yeah he's not like proposing to her anything like I think this is also around the time when she was like oh I don't want to go to prom because it's stupid like it like I could have easily seen that scene being also like presented as him being like what like at the end being like would you go to prom with me and possibly putting that pressure on her but he never does that he just like sings and then runs away from school security because <laughs> he's like I did what I came to do I'm out and she's just there just watching him having a great time and then after I've imagined that she's processed it and be like okay this guy put himself out there for me we're kind of like I'm gonna go help him out of detention because he did all this for me like like there like yeah there are so many other things in this movie that can be taken like they can also be seen as problematic like the detention scene where she just flashes her teacher like yeah and but people think that scene it is so romantic listen whenever I watch that scene I get like the biggest dumbest smile on my face and I'm just like ah yes Heath is singing to me in this moment not Julia Stiles me and I'm just like yeah it's like it's just it's cute and whimsical like what like who who among us would not like to be sung to by Heath Ledger like come on yeah yeah I mean it's it's there are quite I mean there this isn't the only thing that people call problematic I want to say that it's not the only thing it's just when I've seen when they're talking about problematic tropes and romantic comedies and they lump this scene in with the other problematic scenes in the movie. And it, it, it's stupid, frankly. I think I think it's it makes no sense. This is this is a great scene. And you know, like you said, Paula, no one can tell who he's really singing to. It's not like he has a big sign that says, Forgive me, cat. <laughs> not at all. He's just like, here I am this is singing for you, to you. Kitty cat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have I mean, he's not like you know, putting her on the spot, he's putting himself on the spot. And for, a, and you have to look at it this way too. You've got Patrick who has this whole reputation in school of being the dangerous, bad guy, bad boy. And he likes to keep that up and he's got this wall and here he is in front of the whole school. Well, not the whole school, but you know, in front of a big portion of the school doing something that's so out of character for who people think he is. And so he's making himself incredibly vulnerable. And that says, I mean, I think that right there sums up how great the scene is because it's not, it's about him putting 
someone else above his own sense of self-preservation. And I think that's why it's so beautiful. And he also, he really likes her. I mean, he like he likes her so much at this point. And it's not even about the money anymore because he spent he spent some of the money to be able to do this for her. That's the other thing. He spent that money he got to be able to do this for her because he wants her to forgive him, not because of the money, but because he likes her. And he wants her to not feel like she was the only one who ever humiliated herself or anything. And then also, you know, even though he tells her later at the last scene, when she does end up getting him out of detention and the smile on his face when he sees her walk into the room and he notices her, that smile on his face is, oh my gosh, that's a smile you want to get from a guy. It's, oh, that's when he's like, oh, you're here. Oh gosh, you're so cute and beautiful and I love you. I mean, it's that kind of smile. It's so sweet. And and he doesn't say that he knows what she did to get him out of detention but he doesn't say it because he doesn't want to humiliate her again. So he's like, I'm not going to say this, even though I know, I, I mean, he does say, of course he says it at the end, but still, I, I don't know. I just think it's a great romantic gesture. I, I think I loved listening to Heath Ledger sing and I loved the moves that he did down the stairs. His first smile in the beginning when he's just, you know, I don't know. There's just some, there's just every single moment about it is amazing. It's one of my favorite romantic comedy scenes and I won't let anyone take it away from me because <laughs> it's, I mean, there's problematic crap, which we're going to get into here in just a second. I mean, the biggest problematic issue I think in this is honestly the way is the dad, frankly, but um, you know, so yeah, it's not that problematic. Okay. So we're going to get into the father here and uh, you know and also this goes into the other stuff in it too but their dad cat and bianca's dad doesn't want them to date because he's an OBGYN and he delivers all these babies and so he wants to i mean he even makes bianca wear a pregnancy <laughs> belly which is so disgusting when you watch that now it was yeah. funny when i first saw this movie but Looking at it now, I'm like, that is disgusting. So he basically wants to control his daughters and their sexuality. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Meg, your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. So when this movie first came out, I found this to be hilarious. This dad mm -hmm. um, who is so not like my dad. But so like just involved in all the wrong ways and rather than trying to communicate with his daughters and this is like so then I just thought it was weird and funny and like that sitcom dad kind of ridiculousness that we were so used to in the 90s now and especially having daughters the idea of rather than talking to your children and trusting them and educating them and trusting them to make choices for themselves you're just going to make this blanket statement that cuts off all of their their romantic interests their growing sexuality like you can't ignore sexuality away you can't like i like i said i have a 13 year old daughter i can't just pretend that those things are not starting to bloom in her life as much as i might want to as a parent um, 
but watching it now is just so gross. Like not letting your daughters date and then like trying to find this loophole because your one daughter was traumatized to be like, well, you can date if your older sister dates and your older, it, it, it bothers me. Now I don't find it nearly as entertaining as I did when I was 15 years old, when this movie came out, him talking about being elbow deep in the placenta of a crack addict felt really gross and like it it felt just really gross to me i just i didn't i didn't think it was funny making bianco wear a pregnancy suit when she gave him no reasons not to trust her neither of them gave him any reason not to trust him he took his mistrust of his upset over his wife leaving him and took that and put that on his daughters and that was just not fair and also on a practical note like what's a quicker way to get your teens to do something than tell them that they can't do it yeah like if i want my teenager to do something i tell her she can't do it and then it gets done it has not worked when i'm like don't do the dishes But most other things. So it just, I don't know. Like what was funny in the 90s in this aspect just is not funny anymore. And I think a lot of it was me working through a lot of internalized misogyny over the years. But yeah. Yeah. So Paula. Looking at this movie now versus when I first saw it, yeah, like like Megan said, it was it was funny. It was, you know, kind of eye rolling, like, yeah, of course, because we, like, we've all, we've all dealt with this kind of attitude from, from people. Seeing it now really kind of threw it in your face of how bad this behavior was. And it wasn't just, I mean, what, what the father did was horrible, but there was a lot of misogyny throughout the entire movie. There was comments all over the place that I didn't, I did just kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, blew past me before because that was just, you know, again, stuff we just kind of dealt with and, you know, didn't really pay attention. You just kind of roll your eyes and ignore it. And now it's like, I can't believe we just kind of let those kinds of things slide. I mean, you know, just comments from Joey of, you know, can you make Kat take her mind all before she comes to class next time? I'm like, somebody said that to me now i just want to smack them you know where back then is like you know that's commonplace and you know i'm not saying it's not commonplace now it still happens it's still very problematic but it was just more i guess noticeable now as a 40 something versus when i was in my 20s watching this movie for the first time of just how rampant it was i don't know it's just yeah yep Susie. Oh, yeah, that's um, like Megan Paula have said when they first watched this movie, like as a kid, I thought it was funny. It's like, ah, like you put a pregnancy belly on her. Because I'd never seen a pregnancy belly before that wasn't like on a a gestating human. So seeing like the the plushy version, it was sort of was like, ah, that's funny. Um, 
but yeah, when you get older and you rewatch it and you look at some of the things, you're like, oh, that is not okay. Because like even his first rule of like, you're not gonna date. Rule number two, like my two rules: you're not gonna date until you graduate. You're not gonna date until you graduate. And even like Bianca goes, come on, dad, that's really unfair. And he goes, fine. You're not gonna date until your sister does. And he only like amends the rule because at that point, like he presumably knows what Cat has gone through. Like maybe not like completely, but in some aspect. And he knows that she's like in that moment, he's like, Oh yeah, she's never gonna date. So my little girl, my other little girl, she's she's gonna be fine. Like there's nothing for me to worry about. And even then, like he's like, Oh, where are you going? What kind of party are you going to? Who are you gonna be with? Da, da, da. Like before you leave, put on the pregnancy belly. And he's like, Oh, this this cracked out teenager told me I should have listened to my father. And he's like, he's just so intent on just like embarrassing her like even in front of her friend he's like put this pregnancy belly on and wear it and you're just gonna be in this so you can like understand the magnitude of what you're gonna do and it's like she's only going to a party sir like and even he and even he has and even he tells him he's like don't do drugs don't do this don't like don't commit animal sacrifice And, and it's like how like presumably his daughter's have not given him any reason for like him to mistrust them like by all accounts they seem like very good kids you know like 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 they seem like they're doing okay in school like we know we know cat is presumably bianca is if she's bothering to get a tutor for french like she could just as easily like blow off that subject but she's like making strides to try to like maybe improve her own schoolwork. I don't know. It's just like I had very controlling parents growing up. So like that they don't they still don't trust me. It's like especially my father. So and and it's like I've never given them reason not to trust me. Like I've always been a good kid. And in a way, like being so controlling of your kids' social life is very hindering to them later on when they're adults because they don't know how to interact with the outside world because in those kind of like formative years where they have the opportunity to go out and like talk to people meet people learn more social cues they don't know that so in a way they kind of spend the rest of their life trying to play catch up with with everyone i'm gonna speak up for dad and the whole where are you going? Who are you going to be with? That I just feel like is just a parent thing. Like, I mean, my yeah, that is being concerned that. about like where your kid is, where they're going. There's a, but there's a point where that concern becomes controlling and harmful. Well, yeah, I would never put a pregnant belly on my child before they go yeah. to a party or anything like that. But asking your kid, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? What time are you going to be home? And especially this is 1999. Cell phones were like not a thing. So that mentality Well, no, I understand that. But different. there's, and like knowing where your kid is, like there, but there is a point where that concern just becomes control. Yeah. And you can see how like his wife, I think it's implied that his wife left him. Yes. That yes, left the family. Did can't see how that like experience really hurt him and he seems determined to try to like yeah well and and parenting teenagers is such a fine 
it's such a balancing act between trusting them and wanting your kids to grow and become independent and making good choices for themselves and teaching them how to do that. And then also they're your babies <laughs> and you just want to keep your baby safe. And, and I just say this as a parent who is in the midst of trying to figure out that balance between those two things. So like asking where they're going and who they're going to be with, I didn't think was that dickish. <laughs> no, but even like the comments that everyone else makes all like, like everyone makes so many sexual comments regarding Kat, like, oh, she yeah. wants to be a lesbian, let her get her mind yeah. out before class. And it's like, what concern is that of yours, sir? Just shut up and move on. That's 90s humor. I, uh, yeah, I know, but still like the mo the movie, as great as it is, it's not like, like many things, it's not infallible. <laughs> But I think the yeah. important part of it probably, like, is just to, like, acknowledge the problems with it and just, like, but, um, like, you can still enjoy the media as long as you, like, acknowledge the issues with it. Like, I still enjoy rewatching some episodes of Friends, even though, dear God, some of it is very problematic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still love Friends, but it's still incredibly problematic in areas, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a lot of that media. I mean, when I rewatched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air for our episode, holy moly, the sexism in that show. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, and the homophobia and the fat phobia and stuff like, the fat phobia especially is huge in that. Um, sorry, I, that was not a pun at all. <laughs> sorry. Uh, but it, but it's really bad in that in that show. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to add too much to that, but um yeah the that it, controlling female sexuality is a problem still to this day and um you know while yes i think i, I mean i'm not a parent of course but i think even now like if someone i love and care about is going somewhere and they've never been there before or they're you know and especially in this time with like online dating and stuff the big thing is always saying oh i'm going here and you want to know so i understand that but when you when you take it to the next level of course of put this pregnancy suit on or basically saying you're gonna end up pregnant if you go out um is kind of saying uh, you don't <laughs> you don't respect your daughters enough to respect their decisions instead of sitting there and saying, instead of actually having a conversation and saying, you know, if you are going to be sexually active, uh, be safe, you know, make sure he wears a condom or are you going to be sexually active? And, and I know, and I, like I said, I'm not a parent, so I can't even imagine having this conversation. It must be really difficult, but having, but having to say, well, maybe we should go to the gynecologist or maybe we should something, or, you know, I won't be there with you, but you know, if you don't want me to be, but you know, that kind of the birth control conversation, that kind of stuff is different than saying, I'm going to put this pregnancy belly on you because that's basically yeah, implying that's that she has no onus over her sexuality and she will just end up having sex no matter what kind of thing. It's the way it's approached because wanting to know where his daughter's going to be, where his daughter's going to be and the phone numbers and having concern over going to a party, I will say is, is a, va is a very valid thing because you don't know what's going to happen at the party. I don't think there's going to be animal sacrifices, but you don't know that, that could happen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, 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 you know, so you don't know. So there is, so I get that, but there is this other level where he wants to control his daughter's 
because of the fact that his wife left. So he's putting all of that energy into them and all that, like, it's not blame, but he's putting all of this, like, okay, I don't want to lose anybody else. So I'm going to control you so much and hold you so tight that really what will, I mean, I mean, this isn't a drama, so it's not as serious as that, but really what will happen is you'll end up losing them. You know, it's like, you can only pull, you know, until you lose them. And I think that's kind of where he's on the verge, but um, because of time, we're going to move on now to the last thing. So the last thing we're going to talk about is the poem at the end, the, the 10 things I hate about you poem that I want to just say, if you didn't know, this scene was the first take, the first take of it uh, was what you see on the screen. They loved it so much. I don't know if they did any other takes, but this was the first take. The crying that Julia Stiles does was not at all in the script. That just happened because, I mean, hello. So because she's a good actress and it just happened naturally. Uh, So I want to just, I just wanted to ask about the poem because I think it sums up the whole movie and her character and the two of them together. And especially watching not only her reading the poem, but watching Patrick's reaction to hearing the poem, I think is also amazing. So Meg. I remember watching this and wishing someone would put themselves out there like that for me because it was so beautiful. And like I said, I was 15 when this movie came out and like I, I, I rewatched this movie yesterday and I got emotional watching her read this poem because she, she's so vulnerable she puts everything out there and to watch Patrick just like I and I and I read an interview Julia Stiles did recently where Heath Ledger said this is your scene I'm not gonna do any big thing because this is your scene this is your moment but you can see him crumbling watching her and this is just a testament to both of them and their chemistry and this moment. But that might be one of my favorite scenes in any movie. It's just so heartfelt and heartbreaking. And she is so vulnerable in front of people who have taken such huge advantage of any vulnerability she's ever shown. And it's just, it's beautiful. I don't know. I just hear like, I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. Like I, I have that poem memorized. Like I, I know that poem from beginning to end and it's just, it's beautiful and it's heartbreaking and it makes me kind of curious to what Patrick's poem might've been. Yeah. But just like I said, I have a lot of, emotional attachment to cat um because of my own personal um life at the time so seeing cat hurt like broke my heart a lot and this was just one of those scenes that just stuck with me and probably will stick with me for a very long time it's just so beautiful and paula it this one almost 
for me is almost kind of like Kat's grand gesture. You know, we, we were talking about Patrick's grand gesture earlier with him doing the song in front of everybody. This one, I mean, it's definitely more intimate um, just because, you know, it's obvious, you know, she's in a small environment. She doesn't open up to anybody. And this is her way of doing that grand gesture of asking for forgiveness and, and kind of throwing out her feelings of, you know, of how she's, of how she feels about Patrick. And I, I really liked the scene as well. I can't really add much more to what Meg said because she pretty much nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Susie. Oh, I like, it's like, it's so sweet. And like whenever she reads it, I always start crying because when she gets starts getting choked up, I start getting choked up, and then I just start crying. And I'm like, oh, not even a little bit, not even at all. And I'm like, ah, yes, cat, you go, girl. And like I just know that she, like probably wrote it, like like I just know that she wrote it after prom because mainly because of the line like, um, you didn't even call. Like she was probably waiting for him to call and like like probably apologize and explain himself or something or be like, Hey, let's talk it out. And he did not And that probably hurt her a lot. And in his case, he was just probably trying to give her space because he knew that she would want to talk with him or wasn't ready to, but it's just like, oh, like they're honestly one of my favorite relationships. You can see how much they care for each other and how they're willing to put themselves out there for each other. And it's also really great to see, that love being like reciprocated and like gestures returned and it's they're they're it's just really sweet yeah i mean i mean it's just one of the most beautiful beautiful scenes in a movie ever and what you said meg about heath ledger and I'd, i'd heard that before too about him saying that's her scene and I think it also not only goes to their chemistry, but it goes to what wonderful actors they are. Because as an actor, if you're a selfish actor, if he was a selfish actor, he would have taken that moment to do, do something big. And he didn't. And a scene like that would not work if he had taken away that moment because it's about her being vulnerable. It's about her being like, okay, I am ready to forgive you. That's also what it's about because forgiveness is a huge thing and it's really hard to do. And that was her step to forgiveness for him, towards him. And it was all about her. That was her moment to shine. And that scene would not work if either one of them were selfish actors. And that's why Heath Ledger was such an amazing actor because he wasn't a selfish actor. He yeah. was a giving actor, even if it was all about him in a scene, he still was giving. I mean, Joker, all, all that stuff broke back. Like, I so feel like even just, a tear would have taken away from all of it. Like it would have taken away from her if he had even done that personally. Yeah. And I mean, he gets emotional, but yeah, that would have, yeah. that would have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was played perfectly by both of them and you know and and it's also very very much very relatable to 
when you love somebody, especially when you are a teenager and it's like your first real relationship or your first real love. And if something happens during that and it's makes you hate them and it makes you angry at them, you still love them. And that's a lot of what she's saying here. And it's so relatable. That is so, so relatable. That's why it's so good because I think everybody can relate to it on some level of, you know, maybe you had that feeling for someone and, you know, you're mad at them for this. You hate them for this. You hate them for that. But in reality, all those things that you say you hate them for are actually some of the reasons you love them. So it's this very, you know, it's this very confusing thing at that time, I think too. And yeah, the last line of just, you know, and you know, mostly that I just hate that I don't even hate you. Not even a little bit, not even at all. It's just so beautiful and amazing. And I know, um, you know, I've heard some people complain that, you know, he didn't go after her when she left the room, but I actually think it's perfect because that's her moment. And she needs some space after that because that was a lot for her to do for her character to basically stand up there and basically just say, here's my soul and my heart and be completely vulnerable. So I'm glad, I'm glad that he didn't. So I just want to say, I feel, I feel like that plays 100% into Heath Ledger talking about that being Julia Stiles moment, that being her thing. If he had started crying that would be like, Oh, look how vulnerable Patrick is being because he's crying. And, and if he had gotten up, I think all of that would have taken away. I think he did so much acting like micro acting <laughs> with his yeah. eyes that anything more I feel like would have taken away from it. So I don't understand the criticism of him not getting up and running after her because it's just a little tiny thing I've heard from a couple of people. Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are going to wrap up. So thank you everyone for watching. Um, and uh, this has been fun. This is still one of my favorite movies. I really enjoyed watching it last weekend re-watching it for the upteenth time so meg where can they find you and your podcast uh you can find the podcast uh that i have with carla called bed wetter behead on twitter at bed behead pod or on instagram at bed.wed.behead.pod or on the other blue social media at bed behead pod you can find me personally on the Twitter at Wisconsinac, which is W-I-S-C-O-N-S-E-N-N-A-C-H. And that is that. If you have any trio suggestions, please tweet them to us because we're running out of ideas. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but suggestions are welcome. <laughs> you could do this movie. Uh, but they're teenagers. So they're teenagers. We can't. Yeah, they're minors. Right. That's right. Never mind. Uh, so, Paula, uh, I am on Instagram and Twitter at It's My Sandbox. Awesome. Thank you. And Susie. Oh, yes. Lovely humans can find me on the Twitters at SusieQ underscore SC. And there's an additional underscore for Instagram. And my dog's Instagram is at Benny underscore Felicita. Awesome. Thank you. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at eAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. 
on TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, any show, show suggestions, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, not necessarily Andrew Keegan, but Jeremy Sisto, <laughs> feel free to reach out to us at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. And <laughs> what? Rufus Sewell. <laughs> yes, I have a long list of people. And then uh, next week or next weekend on our live stream, we're going to be talking about the Oscars. So that'll be me, Aaron A., and Angela talking about our predictions and all that stuff. And then also remember on March 26th, we're doing our marathon live stream, uh, 10 hours of this. I still don't understand why I'm putting myself 12 hours, not 10 hours, there are 12 hours. I still don't understand why I'm putting myself through this, but I'm hoping we can raise some money for some great organizations. We have great people lined up. Of course, we're going to have the boobs on. <laughs> we're going to have sort of brilliant on. <laughs> we're going to have sudden but inevitable green shirt podcast. Uh, Jen will definitely be on. I don't know if her, she will be on just, she's going to try to be on to, to promote her podcast. And then she's going to be on along with Susie and Aaron A. As we talk about Finn Whitrock's, yes, it's just his, Finn Whitrock's erotic thriller, Dark Water, or Deep Water. What is it? Is it Deep Water? It's Dark Water. Now I can't remember the name of it, damn it. Anyway, <laughs> so we'll be talking about that and talking about when he inevitably is murdered but we'll be talking about the erotic thriller of it all so that'll be fun too and then we'll be recording an episode not sure which one yet and then we will also be talking about ghost stories we're also going to have nerd alert news on to talk about to promote an upcoming convention so it should be a lot of fun for everybody watching <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. It'll be fun. Remember, next episode, our next up on our next episode. Sorry, we are going to be talking about while you were sleeping. So that should be a ton of fun. So until next time, remember it's a fandom thing. Black lives matter and stop Asian hate.